It is footage from the 9.30 service. Um, it's, funny we did, it's funny because we sang that song today, did we not? Like, you don't even know. See, this is really good. <laughs> it's a good thing we're having this. <laughs> it's a good thing we're having this discussion. So this is Jeff Box, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Jeff, to the stage. Uh, so Thanks. spattering. That's good. Uh, we decided just to have this talk about worship in terms of the singing piece, and uh, because that's what he does for us. Uh, some, some, some benefit from this will be that you get to know Jeff um, better, and so for some of you, uh, it may be the first time you get to hear some of his story, uh, which is really powerful, and, uh, and it really fits into what we're doing today. Um, we have a past together, which is, uh, I'll just start with some trivia. Jeff and I grew up at the same home church, although he's 13 years younger than me. Uh, which means we didn't hang out, you know, when I was a high schooler. Um, I may have babysat I was about to ask that same thing. I don't know if you did or not. You know, one thing we didn't say last service was your younger brother, Carl, Uh who he's still in England, right? Yeah. Um, He used to, like, terrorize me at the church. (laughs) Really? Yeah, he would, like, I mean, I I thought he was awesome, so I'd, like, follow him around, and he'd, like, bully me. I didn't know that. It was was really great. (laughs) So thanks. Carl. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we grew up at the same church, and uh, my dad and his dad played in the same worship band together uh, for years, and they even, uh, our two families helped start a church in, uh, where is it now, Buford? Yeah, I think so. It's called Northview Church. It it started at Providence, didn't it? Didn't they meet in Providence Christian Academy? Or or something, yeah. Yeah. It's moved quite a bit. Yeah. um, Yeah, so we have a past, we go back, and, uh, or at least our families do, and then, um, the other thing that people don't know about Jeff, a lot of people don't know, is that he doesn't actually work here. Uh, we pay him to direct uh, what we do on Sundays from the stage and all that. But he, this, is not, this is not his nine to five. He actually has a real, he has a real job. Uh, <laughs> tell him about your real job. Um, well, yeah, so I put on a suit and I put on a tie every day. And I yeah, go, he wears a suit. Like we were talking about that last hour. Yeah. Like, he suits up. He's not, he's not a musician where he's, what did we say? You're not like selling origami crafts in East Atlanta. That's right. Yeah, During no. the day and playing at the Earl at night. That's and I was happening. only doing the origami during my lunch breaks yes. for a while yeah. anyway. But, he, um, he has like a real gig. Yeah, no, I'm a, um, I'm a business consultant at SunTrust, and uh, like I did my undergrad at Georgia Tech. And, he's a suit. Um, and I'm a suit, yeah. And so I'm probably going to start wearing a suit and tie every week here on Sundays now that you yeah. guys know that. Um, we have... Before you go on, we have to be the only church that has an art director who does database analysis. I think, I think that's a fair point. Is that a right? Is that the right term? It's database something, something like that. Data processing for a major corporation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. I went to I went to seminary. So yeah, so that's it. And so um, I, I guess to like to speak to that too. Uh, I grew up in the church. Um, my my family lives like thirty minutes east of here, and they they lived there my entire life. But I, um, yeah, I grew up in the church. I was like involved every time. Really, every time the church doors were open, my parents uh, my parents were there. So whether or not it was like Wednesday night dinner in Mount Carmel or uh, like whatever it was, like we were there. Like you know, we'd go to the camps and whatever else. And so really, from as early as I can remember, I mean, I played I played classical music since I was six, but I mean, I remember being in youth bands, and then when I finally got to an age where I guess like the adults thought, you're not that terrible, we'll let you up on stage now, you know, something like that, Came I don't out know. Out of the farm system and into the big show. Right, <laughs> right, and, uh, and so I mean, for as long as I can remember, I've been doing it, but the interesting thing is that a lot of my friends, 
uh, kind of in the, in the same way had that, had that uh, bringing up. And a lot of them would get called into ministry. So, like, they would go, you know, we would go to camp, and there would be some, you know, very, like, emotionally jerking sort of, you know, <laughs> evening or whatever. And from then on out, now they're, they were like, yeah, God called me into ministry. I never had that. And so here I am, right? But, like, um, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this word, but bivocational ministry is what comes to mind because that's what I do. I go, I go to work all week and then um, in my free time and on the weekends, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing ministry. Yeah. <laughs> nice. There was a point to this. Uh, yeah, so I really want you to share uh, your – talk about – let's do it this way. Talk about where you were before here because you did – you went to Georgia Tech – Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, following that, you got involved with some, uh, some you traveled with some bands, mm-hmm. um, but you also did some worship stuff, and then eventually you were doing that pretty much week in and week out uh, at a church, and then there was, there was sort of that behind the music piece to your story where it was like, when we come back, Jeff's found in the gutter doing cocaine, That's although it wasn't <laughs> cocaine, but, uh, right. but there was kind of this, you had this kind of descent and then there was this space between there and here. So just kind of tell that story so that people can kind of know, you know, you're leading worship and it's not all happy clappy. I mean, there's some stories there that... Happy clappy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, we didn't really get into this, I guess, in the first service, did we? I just sort of glossed through it but, or over it. Um, but what, what happened was my involvement, I always sort of fell into it. So because of the fact that I was in church and because of the fact that I played music, it's like let's just automatically couple those two, and now all of a sudden you're a real worship musician, right? You can lead worship because you can hold a guitar Mm -hmm. and because you're in a church. And so— you have a V-neck. That's that's right. Well, I had to go buy those, but either way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it it was really weird for me because, um, yeah, so I sort of fell into these roles where somebody would say, well, we need somebody to do this, and I'd end up doing it. And over time, uh, really grew to love it. And so during my undergrad, I was involved in a church— where a lot of my friends from undergrad went, and I actually uh, ended up being the worship leader there for, it was about four years, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess that's how long undergrad is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I would be there um, basically kind of doing what I do here uh, week in and week out. And it was weird for me because I feel like a lot of people, like what I said earlier, that if they were called into ministry, they knew what they were doing after they graduated or if not, they knew that they were going to go and they were going to go get an engineering job or go do whatever it was that they were doing. And for me, I just had no idea. And um, so I was sort of floating around. And, at, you know, at that time, I thought, man, well, maybe I should go into ministry full time. Like, this is obviously something where, you know, the church was growing and worship was growing. And um, I really loved it. And uh, when I graduated, I spent some time doing that. And I spent some time on the road with, with, some, with some bands. But uh, yeah, it was sort of a weird situation. A lot of the leadership turned over in the church, and I kind of got booted out, in essence, for uh, maybe like the younger, sexier model, if you will. And, and so it, it, was, it was strange, and it was harsh because I uh, didn't see it coming, and I also, um, there wasn't a lot communicated about it. And so to me, it was like I'd kind of stepped out on a limb, only to have it kind of like throw back, thrown back in my face. And it was really difficult because for about a year and a half after that, I mean, I just didn't. I didn't really step foot in church. So before you go on, we didn't talk about this last hour, but I want to introduce it and just have you speak into it. Yeah. Atlanta, I mean, I can throw a stone and hit a worship leader. Yeah. Um, Because 
when I was growing up in this town, the music scene was, um, you know, it was REM and everything associated with that. And now it is worship music. I mean, this is the hub. This in Australia, of all places, is, yeah. is the, is, are the two places where worship music is, is really born and then disseminated around the country. Therefore, there's some, there's, there's some levels, some being very facetious. It's quite, it's quite dense. But there's a level of competitiveness among worship people, people who do worship musically. And for all, uh, for what it's worth, worship has become its own industry, which is both nauseating and yet at the same time sort of interesting and attractive. And I wonder uh, how (laughs) preaching is not an industry. I don't feel these same threats that some people do, but like, I wonder how, how was that true for you? Like, did you feel, tell us about that. Yeah, that's where we actually, we didn't talk about that. No, we didn't. We were hanging out, did we? There's, um. Bazinga. <laughs> in my face. Uh, I, I don't really actually know how to speak to that. I think I might've been unique in a lot of ways because it was like, although I was a very like conformist sort of person growing up, I really didn't, that wasn't my path. Like mm-hmm. that never really interested me. And I think especially after, I'm sure we'll get into this, but after you experience worship, how it's supposed to be, and like the way, and the way that you really connect with God and connect in community, that like, I mean, it's cool if you have that stuff, but if not, like it doesn't, it doesn't resonate, like it doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think I, I was always much more concerned with the heart behind, I guess, behind the church and behind what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I guess this gets back into the story because I, you know, I went off the grid for a while and, uh, and in a lot of ways was like, you know, would blame God for stuff that happened. There were, you know, there were a lot of other things that happened. How much time life. was there between essentially getting let go and then coming here? Oh, yeah, I think that was about a year and a half. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there were a lot of other things that I feel like were just kind of falling apart in my life at the time too. So it was just like one thing after another. Mm-hmm. And like we all do, you, you start pointing fingers and usually the finger ends up pointing back to God and you start blaming him for all the things going wrong and everything. And, uh, and it was really interesting. I think what happened was, um, we did talk about this last service, was that because our parents knew each other, I think they were out to dinner or out doing something, just catching up. And uh, your dad mentioned, um, hey, we need a worship leader. And of course, my dad shot off in the mouth and was like, oh, I know one. Oh, my son does that. And I was like, you know, they come home or whatever. And my, my dad calls me and he's like, yeah, if I, there's like a church that, that needs somebody. And I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. Like I, I decided I was going to go back to grad school and I decided that I was going to, you know, just go into the working world. And it was interesting. You got like the church pursued me pretty hard. And I mean, it can, it can only be because of God, because I turned you guys down three times. Right. So like Jamie We're called needy. me. We're pretty needy. Right. <laughs> right. So like Jamie had called me and, um, and he had said, yeah, you know, like we, we really think that you would be that you would be great here and we want you to have the worship stuff. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. So what was it like coming back into that role here after, uh, you know, being hurt and sort of journeying through that, maybe some distrust building and yet saying no to us three times and then almost, almost involuntarily just like, okay, fine. What was that like <laughs> coming in here and then sort of growing through, um, I think that the main thing was, and we did speak to this before, was that 
that's when, that's when you break through that barrier. So the fact that I, I basically, I thought about it and I was like, I'm being unbelievably selfish because one, I'd been, I have the gift of music and or this is what I've been doing my whole life. So why would I squander it? Like, why would I not do that for God? But then number two being um, the fact that you have to get through that barrier. Like the minute you start blaming what people do and what the church does on God is, is the moment that you've, that you've lost sight of how it works. And so I think when I got past that, that was when I was able to really find um, like true meaning in what we were doing on stage, like true, true meaningful relationships with, you know, with the team and with the people here. Um, but yeah, I, that's, that's basically how that transition worked. Yeah. Let's, speaking of transition, uh, I want to put, the version I have is slightly different, but Psalm 150 uh, be on the screen. I'll just read through it. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp. We need to get those on the stage. It's a big lute. Uh, praise him with tambourine and dance. That always reminds me of Footloose, the original one, not the stupid one now, but... Um, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Where Ren McCormick is in the town hall meeting, and he's like, what did David do? What did David do? He danced. All right, so uh, you'll thank me later if you rent that movie. So, uh, and then the writer goes on to say, praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath uh, praise the Lord. And my translation of that psalm is simply... Uh, you know, God is saying, sing, sing songs about the greatness of God and, and do it with a really, really loud band. Like, that's pretty much what he's saying. It's biblical. It's biblical. Um, but a couple of things before we get back to you. This particular psalm, it's the last psalm of what we call the Psalter, which is the Jewish prayer book that sits in our Old Testament. Uh, and these, these particular songs, these poems, would be they're prayers. I mean, you say them as prayers. It's initially what they're for, but they're also songs where people would sing them. Um, and Psalm 150 is the last of five what they call hallelujah psalms. And um, you may have said hallelujah before. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's a compound word in the Hebrew language. The hallel means to praise or to bless. And then yah is just a shortened version of the word Yahweh, which is the, the, the name for the Lord. And so it's this praise, this praise God. And these hallelujah psalms, all five of them, if you just back up and uh, start from 146 all the way to 50, what you end up hearing and feeling is that God is essentially demanding that you sing songs about him. And he's demanding that you use music in a way uh, to worship him. And I was, uh, I love this quote from, if, if, you don't, if you're into C.S. Lewis, um, you need to buy Reflections on the Psalms. He wrote this kind of prose about how he moves through the Psalms. It's like two bucks on Kindle now, so it's totally worth it. Um, but he says in there about this whole thing about praising, he says, when I first began to draw near uh, to belief in God, and even for some time after that, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. So C.S. Lewis even has this kind of like, I don't understand why we're doing this. And then he says, still more the suggestion that God himself demands it. So this, you know, you can't get past Psalm 150 without feeling, okay, God is actually demanding me to praise him, to sing to him, to, you know, announce 
his greatness through music and dance and, and lyric. And uh, it, can be, it can be a very sort of, for us in the post-enlightenment, arrogant sort of stage that we're in, like everything has to have its end result reason for doing, for doing so. Like, okay, fine, you're asking me to sing, but why are we doing that? And what is the result? And what is it that we're going for? What am I getting out of what it? What am I getting out of this? And, uh, and that's, that's usually where worship, that's the stumbling block there. Mm-hmm. We don't really understand uh, what to do. And so the word, the word that we've funneled down to, and we'll talk about this for a while, is the word obedience. Like, essentially, God is asking us through music and song and being together in community, simply out of obedience, to, to praise him. And the lead-in for this is going to be this. Uh, that is not always something we want to do. We don't, everybody comes into this room in a different spiritual mood. Um, when I was in youth ministry, it was terrible on Wednesday nights because the room would fill up with this many students. And what you have is someone who um, didn't make the team and they're coming in and someone who did make the team, someone who is going to prom, someone who got rejected to prom, and all, you know, and someone who fought with their parents on the way over here, someone who's celebrating their sweet 16, I don't know why they're at church, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> But you got all these different moods coming in the room, and you have to teach about, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a really hard room. You expect people to get into it. You expect people to get into it, and they don't, they don't get into it. And, you know, the setting events in their life dictate how they experience worship. And so, uh, for you, you don't all come in here in the same spiritual mood, so to speak. There's some days you want to sing, there's some days you don't want to sing. Uh, am I right on that? Like, there's just some days where you're like, really? Are we seriously doing that song again? Um, you know, we all have those. And yet, here's God saying, I don't really care what you think. I need you to sing. And so let's talk about obedience. Yeah, well, that was, to that end, um, the fact that, the, that we experienced that. I mean, I think that's the big thing. I mean, um, giant spoiler alert, we show up sometimes and don't want to be here. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, that's the thing is that you can... Especially within a team dynamic, it's like they're in the exact same way. We might be in the back room praying and having communion before the service starts, and we're expected to be uh, the conduit, like for for the for you guys to essentially come before the throne and learn learn the message. And there there are weeks where we're just we might not be able to do it. Like how do you, and so how do you do it? You know, and it's it's really difficult because at that point, I think that's when you realize that this isn't about yourself. And I mean. That's what we were talking about um, also is that, yeah, there, there's absolutely works where I'm like, this is the 400th time we sing this Chris Tomlin song, and if I have to sing it again, I'm going to punch someone in the face. <laughs> and what's interesting and what comes out of that is that, like, when you, <laughs> when Man, you are— that was, that was strong. Right, I know. <laughs> I don't—disclaimer, I don't do it. I don't punch anyone. So what happens is when you push through— and like so let's talk about that <laughs> not the punching part we're past the punching part like when we sing the songs and when we get to the end of it what's interesting is that if i'm not if i'm not feeling if we're not feeling on stage or whatever if you're obedient and you push through there's always there's always worship to be had yeah we always get to the end of it and i'm like man i'm glad we did yeah. that yeah because unbeknownst perhaps to you there there are certainly days when uh you know jeff is singing uh, and even I'm preaching and like we're reading the words off the page but we're not here like our minds are somewhere else like our minds are like thinking about other things that might be uh, a stress 
situation for us or whatever. And there are just days where we kind of just take the steps that we're supposed to take regardless of how we feel. And we were joking about how it's always funny in those days, like I'll get up here and uh, if I'm ever just reading my notes, you'll know, that's just sort of a tip for you. It, gosh, he's just reading his notes. That's just because I'm ticked off. Like I just, I don't want to be here. I, you know, there's stuff going on and I'm just like, I'm just gonna read what I wrote because it was golden on Tuesday and I don't want to be here on Sunday, but I'll just read it. And um, you know, just like you, just like when you're standing and singing, you're like, I don't want, I mean, we have those days too. Uh, but it's, oh, it's always ironic and funny because on those days, someone will always come up to me and, you know, after that yeah. sermon and just be like, man, right here, right here. I'm like, really? Where? <laughs> what was it about what I was, you know, not caring about that really hit you? And um, so there's this, it teaches me, and, it, and you have the same stories, you know. It teaches us that what we're doing in here together is really under the control of someone else. And um, we're not necessarily dictating the outcomes we're just taking the obedient steps, in this case today as we're talking about, and just lifting our voices in song, and then God does stuff. <laughs> yeah, Period. stuff. Yeah. Um, I, and I think also, we didn't mention this in the first service, that what I was thinking was, it's like through that obedience and through doing it, um, even when you don't feel like it, what's, what's really interesting is uh, you kind of start to see church for what it is, obviously like the two major components of worship being the fact that we're, we're doing it for someone other than ourselves, and then also we're doing it in community. Mm-hmm. And what I was thinking was the fact that, like, you know, I entered into this church especially not really knowing anyone. I mean, I knew, knew you kind of, knew your parents, but, like, got to, got, getting to know everyone and getting to know the team, it's just so important to exist in that community together because I feel like that's, that really is how, even if we're all in different places, that's how you experience worship in its full form because I mean it's like these guys on stage with me like they're I mean they're they're not only friends at this point but like they're family like this place is family now you know and it's like I, I just laugh because it's like the conversations Austin and I have how much he makes fun of me and like the fact that you know Adam will come over to my house and help me hang a tv because I don't know how to do man things and like <laughs> it, you know it's stuff like it's like these relationships that you form that really help you um, understand like the worship environment that's necessary yeah. but yeah well, and I think that when we're asked in Scripture to, to do these things, I mean, again, it's just one of those things where we don't always know why, but yet if we take the steps, if we do them, we do, we do come across the why. Like we do figure out, okay, this is why he's asked me to sing. Um, my son, who's now 11, but uh, we got in the car one day. I was taking him to school. He's 10. And we got in the car, and my son is like is really into rock and roll, and he's, uh, which is my fault, but he's also really, he's really into the blues. Like, he loves the blues. Um, and we get in the car one day, and he says to me, hey, Dad, why are all rock and roll songs about girls? Because the only girl in his life at that time was Zelda, so it was just kind of like a whole new thing for him. <laughs> so he asked, he's like, why are, why are all these rock and roll songs about women? And like, I didn't really have an answer. I mean, he's 10, you know, I'm just like, so what I told him was, I, was, I said, well, one day you will know. <laughs> All the men are laughing. Right. The women are like, I don't know what he's talking Good about. Good answer. In other words, like, son, when you're listening to, uh, you know, when you're listening to Zeppelin, you know, and you're 16, and you hear Robert Plant say, the soul of a woman was created below. 
you'll know what that means. <laughs> right? To all of the women standing up and leaving. When yeah. Right. When you've been turned down for prom, this is really my story now, and uh, <laughs> you go home and you turn the dial and you hear him say that and you're like, amen. You, know, <laughs> you, you understand what that means, you know? Um, or like the old blues howling wolf, like, I asked her for water and she brought me gasoline. Like, that'll make sense one day, right? That'll make sense. Um. <laughs> Which is a great transition into... Into something. Yeah. No, the point being, the point being, eventually what God calls us to do, it, oftentimes on the front end, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, and discipleship, really, I mean, following Jesus is really just about this sort of trusting faith, to quote Philip Yancey, faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. And so it's like God is calling us to do this thing with worship, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense. And eventually, as our journey develops, we sort of wake up to this is why we sing. This is why we do what we do. Well, and then at that point, it becomes the overflow, right? Yes. Which is what... Um, which is what we were talking about in the fact that if you look at snapshots of concerts or if you've ever been to one, um, like a giant one, you know, whatever, like U2 or whatever, and the fact that you see people like holding up lighters and holding up their hands, and they're not singing about God. We're probably singing about girls, right? Ask Alden. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you experience that, or, or, you're at, or you're at a football game or you're at the Super Bowl or whatever, and you see that, I mean, that's worship. Like, that's the overflow of the heart at that point. And it's, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's the, I think that's when you get back to the fact that, um, that when we're in this place and we're singing, you might not even really be that into uh, music or this style of music, or you might hate singing, or you might have a good voice, it doesn't really matter. But the idea here is that, that singing has sort of like this, this tribal component to it, mm -hmm. and, um, and especially in community where it, it is, I mean, it is quite literally like the crying out of your soul um, in response to something. So, um, and I guess you're, you're going to speak to this as well, but um, God basically saying, you know, that's, I want you to do that for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I want a piece of that. Mm -hmm. And so. And part of, speak to this too, because part of maturing in our faith is learning to just sort of love whatever worship setting we're in, regardless of you know, we we become less uh, we become less of a of a person of critique. Like we're not like when the song when the first line hits the screen. Like our first thought isn't really, you know, yeah, this right. Is such I hate a this song. song or you know, this is so overdone. You know, what, that's not our first thought anymore. Our first thought is something else. And um, you know, this is a step learning really how to enjoy worship in any setting. Yeah, and that's um, and that's really good uh, here because of how many mistakes I make. So you need to, you guys need to just enjoy it regardless. No, I mean that's well, learning to enjoy this, but also to be able to drop into seamlessly a very liturgical environment and mm -hmm. just really appreciate and enjoy that too. Yeah, because we were saying the two extremes: one being like arena style worship versus basically some you know bunch of people around a campfire with an acoustic guitar mm -hmm. has the same results. Mm -hmm. Like it. In the end, they are the exact same thing. Um, so, yeah. What would be some tips for people today? Um, singing isn't really their thing, and yet we're kind of forcing them to do that. What, what, what's some advice? Um, 
So when when I first came here, uh, the worship team had um, kind of a different group of people. I'd say this church has a really high turnover, as Derek has, you fired has them talked all. about. <laughs> That's right. I came in and cleaned up. Punched them in the face. That's right. <laughs> I can't understand why they wouldn't want to come back. But I'm kidding. He didn't do that um, more than once. Yeah, they. You know, the team. We basically decided we took like a Friday night and a Saturday, and we just hung out and talked about talked about worship. Talked about like what does it mean to us? Like what is it? And um, a lot of it came from experience, and we just talked about that. A lot of it came from scripture, obviously, and then some of it came from this book called uh, The Way of the Heart. Um, it's by Henri Nouwen, and we just sort of read through that together um, and talked about a lot of it. But uh, I took some of those notes from there, um, and these, <laughs> these are probably just, I don't know, I'll just speak to them because I don't know if there's so much suggestions as they are um, just sort of what our heart is about worship here. But um, one of the key themes being the way that we summed up and really what we're talking about here in obedience is uh, that worship is an act of adoration that selflessly moves us to a place that's outside of ourselves. Because, I mean, at that point, what we're doing here has nothing to do with us, um, which is what we were talking about as well. So like the next point being has nothing to do with feeling. Um, and it definitely has nothing to do with what, we're, what we can get out of it. Um, but those are great byproducts, right? I mean, well, so yeah. that's what we were saying is that there will be weeks that— we can't all be miserable. Right, right exactly. <laughs> um, but there, there will be weeks where, where, it, where it lands, like where, we, where everybody is in sync together and like the song is maybe right or whatever it is that, you know, God has, God has filled this place and people are mountaintop experience, Right. And then there might be three months where it's not like that. And we show up and, like, maybe the songs aren't really landing. Like, who knows? But that's not the point, right? So um, I don't know. Like, when it comes to suggestions, I, I, was, I was laughing about this because also about Kobe, the other we were t- talking about earlier. We were having a conversation where he was like, yeah, I just hate to raise my hands in worship. And I was like, man, I do too. I was like, I'm just lucky because my hands are occupied. Like, that's why I picked the piano so I don't have to do it. Um, (laughs) but like really though, I really would say that like, I know there's a comfort zone and especially if you walk into a church where the culture is not really charismatic or whatever, um, like those different postures of worship are important. And so it doesn't mean that you need to, you know, be like tearing down the rafters, like jumping up and down or whatever. But at the same time, like you see through the Bible, you're talking about hallelujah earlier, like how has, has a component of like acting foolish almost. So there, and there are all these other things like raising your hand, shouting, you know, being in a spirit of thankfulness. It's all across the spectrum. Um, and I think, you know, the last one too um, was actually from this book and I'll read it, but it, it had something to do with, it had to do with the idea of being um, at peace and in rest in prayer. And I think that that is, a, is a, a giant thing to remember that when you come in here, if you don't have that, that spirit of peace and that spirit of joy and rest in what we're doing here, then like, then what are we doing, right? Let's just go home. Like, I, I, don't, really, I don't really know what else to say other than that, but I'll, I will read this quote um, where he says, to pray is to descend with the mind into the heart and there to stand before the face of the Lord ever present, all seeing within you, which is just very, very deep uh, picture of being in that place and, and being in that space. And um, yeah, that's just, that's just like what we strive to do every week. And that was the other thing we were talking about is that we're, you know, this isn't, this isn't like a gig, you know, it's like we're, the team is going to that place. We're here to worship. And so 
we want you guys to come along with us. And there will be weeks where you do, and there will be weeks where you don't. Um, and there'll be weeks when we don't. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think too, like in sort of closing down, like the whole, the only advice that I would give and add to what Jeff is saying is that there, there are certainly some behaviors the church does today being singing that, again, God commands that. He says, I want you to do that. We may not always know why, but he's just saying, just do this, trust me, go with me on this. And, um, and so part of it is just, again, the, the willingness to just do what is before us. And oftentimes, if, let me just start with one category and then move to another. But if you're an unbeliever, if you're not a Christian, it can be like the oddest thing. And you're just hoping that it ends and maybe that's why you come late. I don't know. But, um, but we fooled you. We put the sermon up sooner now. <laughs> that's right. We're backloading all the songs so, now, so you have to yeah, sing. Right. I don't know. I mean, but there, there are certainly people in here that, that the singing, the stumbling block for singing is not the fact that it's music, but that it's spiritually based and that it's about Jesus. Uh, you know, part of, part of the advice for you is simply, well, the first thing I would say is it's amazing that you come, and obviously we're very humbled by that because we understand that it can be strange. But what I would recommend is simply seeing the songs as... Um, they're short stories of the gospel. They're short stories yeah. of what we're trying to get across that day. And uh, some of them are new and some of them are very ancient. I mean, we sang All Creatures Today, which is from the 1600s. It's a pretty old hymn, uh, and the music hasn't changed much either. And so it's, uh, um, and yet we sing that. So it's just a good time to read the words and to sort of, you're, you're hearing theology and you're reading theology. So there is a learning component to it. But for the rest of us, you know, part of the obedience piece is simply, even if you don't want to sing, even if you don't want to pray, even if you don't want to read your scriptures or whatever, you just kind of do it anyway and hoping that God will reveal uh, something along the way. But in this setting, in terms of singing, sometimes, and I want you to hear me clearly on this, sometimes your obedience will be, will have such an impact on someone else's faith. Because they may know what you're going through, and yet when they see you participating in worship, even though you really don't want to, and they know that, that has an impact. It, it, it really becomes less about you and more about what God will do through your obedience sometimes. And I've seen that happen so many, in so many cases uh, where it's just the church itself does what it's supposed to do, and it ends up sort of pulling the whole community forward, uh, which is kind of cool. There's, no, there's nothing worse than a church where, like, people are critical, and it's all critique, and it's all sort of, like, judgmental, and, you know, and there's a few people that are really into it. It's just a really unhealthy place. But the healthiest church is when everybody just says, this is what we're going to do together, uh, and, and we'll see what comes of that. I didn't share this quote last service because I didn't think they were awake enough. But um, uh, Luke Timothy Johnson, who I, I love him. He's a, he's, a, he's a former monk, Catholic monk, who somehow teaches at Emory's uh, uh, Theological School. I don't know how they let him in, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's a, but whatever. But he, he, wrote, he wrote this book on the creeds, which is a really sort of deep, a deep read. But he, the thing that really resonated with me was the whole concept of we say and sing these things together because when we do them, when we say that together, our faith is larger than any one person. So that's sort of the, uh, to get us into the quote. And he says, we also acknowledge that no one of us individually believes as much or as well as all of us do communally. The church always believes more and better than any one of its members. Does this mean that we act hypocritically when we say or sing together we believe? 
Not at all, he says. It is rather that uh, we want to believe as much as the church believe. And that's a nice turn. Like when we're all singing these songs about how great God is, even though we may not think that in the moment, that's what we want. We want to believe what the whole church is saying. And he says, uh, and he goes on to say, that we choose to stand together under these truths in hopes that our individual, I believe, someday approaches the strength of the church as we believe. And so part of singing is not about what it does for you personally, but about how it impacts the whole. And when we sing together and raise these words together, it can be odd, but it's this kind of, God is pulling us forward uh, into a better place. And so, I don't know if that makes sense or not. But. Yeah. And I mean, we, we, again, we're just remembering we're all in different places. Yeah. And it, it means something completely different to another person. Yeah. Done. Boom. Good interview. Um, did you guys enjoy Jeff's wisdom? And yeah. Yeah. I was glad we had this. Yeah. I was thinking about what? just putting sunglasses on. <laughs> oh. And like holding a coffee. And being arrogant. Yeah. Diva. Musicianist. Yeah, exactly. Halfway answering all the questions. <laughs> Behind the music. Oasis. <laughs> uh.